This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Uh, super excited about the show, as always, but we got a really fun and interesting take. And so if we love one animal or two in our lives, that is great. But how about 600 of them? So we're going to be talking to uh, Lori Zaleski, talking about her latest book, Funny Farm, My Unexpected Life with 600 Rescue Animals. Oh, boy, that's going to be fun. So we'll talk to Lori a little bit about uh, the book and all the various animals and some, maybe some funny stories and then also pick her brain about the writing of the book. How was that and how did it go and uh, was it super duper easy or a, a challenge trying to narrow down the, uh, the various stories? So it's going to be fun, exciting. I'm excited to hear about the plethora of critters running around Lori's place. So everybody hang tight. We'll come back right after this commercial break. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Uh, joining me now is the founder of Funny Farm. It's a charitable organization located in MISPA, or Maze Landing, New Jersey. It hosts a whole plethora of different types of critters. So it's not just focused on dogs and cats, but we've got bunnies and chickens and roosters and cockatiels. Oh, my. So it's a uh, Noah's Ark type of uh, scenario in the in the country. Of course, we'll talk to uh, the author of Funny Farm, Lori Seleski, about the book. So, Lori, welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Thank you so much, Tim, for having me. Yeah, super excited about it. You know, when I uh, got a copy of, of the book and got a notification from your uh, publicist, and it was funny farm, like, okay, well, what's this all about? And then uh, 600 rescue animals, like, wait, what? Was there a typo already before even the book comes out? <laughs> 600, what are you talking about here? Because as a former uh, head of a, uh, a rescue organization myself, uh, you know, if we had uh, 60 dogs and cats, that was a lot to take care of. So we're talking about 600 here. So tell us a little bit about Funny Farm, first of all, the book, and what uh, what should the readers expect? Funny Farm is, I don't think, is anything what any of the readers expect. That's the one thing everybody says. It's not what I was expecting. Everybody thinks it looks like, I don't know if you've seen the cover, but it looks like a kid's cover. It sounds like a kid's book, but it is not a kid's book. It's my memoir. So it's a story of my life. And we came up from a pretty well-to-do family. My dad was uh, abusive. So in short, my mom left with the kids. She had no driver's license and no money and no alimony, no child support. And we took up a little shack in the woods and she started to do a bunch of menial jobs because she had uh, just a high school education and started working at our local shelter and brought home a watchdog because we kept getting robbed from where we were, the new house that we were living in. And she started to bring home all of these other extreme cases that they were going to 
euthanize. So we started out with about 35 animals. And I said, made my mom a promise. And I said, mom, I'm going to buy you your own farm when I get older. And in my late 20s, she was diagnosed with cancer. And I quick hurried up to buy the new funny farm for her. And fast forward 20 years, and here we are with 600 rescue animals. So I always say life happens when you're busy making plans. So it's not a secret. My mom wound up passing away two weeks before I made settlement on this property. And I'm a graphic designer and photographer. And this has now, I still have that business, thank goodness, because that's how I supported all of these animals for the first 12 years before I became a nonprofit. Wow, that's fantastic! You hit it spot on when you look at the book. It's it's a fun little cover. You got you know dogs and cats and uh, pigs and lambs and uh, some of them are peeking from upside down. It's really mm-hmm. interesting. And then, like you said, you pull up and it's like, whoa, wait a minute, this is a little deeper than that. How does that yeah. happen? Yeah. And yeah. so, I, you know, I love the fact you know that that you made that commitment to your mom, and I know that your mom was well aware of what you were doing, and definitely still peeking down on you to uh, make definitely. sure you're taking care of everything just the right way. Absolutely. How does, I know you talked about your mom doing menial jobs and then cleaning uh, the cages at the local uh, shelter, so mm-hmm. on and so forth. Did your mom have a, a background herself on bringing home every stray cat she could possibly find? Or was this something that happened to her a little bit later in life? Now, she grew up in Philadelphia. My my dad and, and she, they were like two streets away. They got married right out of high school. And he was an economics major, made bunches of money. We owned three houses. We had a nanny. So here she was. We were only allowed to have a cat. But she was always an animal lover and loved horses and just, you know, adored animals. But in Philadelphia, in those row homes, you, you really couldn't have them. Right. So when she was there, hands on in those in the shelter, and she was seeing these poor, pitiful faces, and they were going to euthanize because something was wrong. She didn't have a vet degree. She didn't have any knowledge. There was no internet. She had to go to the library to get books out. And she just kind of treated them with love and did everything. You know, she was, you know, in Girl Scouts and maybe knew a bunch of stuff was going to be a nurse. I mean, uh, I was going to be a nun before she met my father. So she had some skills. I mean, she could sew and she was like a good, really great homemaker. So I guess she had some of those caring skills that she could fix the animals up as much as much as possible but when they were going to euthanize like we had a horse in the house a pig in the house we had raccoons and you know it wasn't a farm it was a house a very small house at that so if she had two dollars i said one dollar went to the kids and one dollar went to the animals she did not care for herself she didn't have her own bedroom she lived in a pullout couch or slept on the floor until we got the pullout couch in our living room so she really is the most heroic and strong person that I've ever met. And I'm not saying that because it was my mom. My friends would say the same thing. They're like, I'm really upset today. I have to talk to your mom. Like she was just one of those incredible people and cared about, like I said, animals and other people much more than herself. I would have to say just by hearing that from you and reading the story is uh, it allowed her to live her real purpose, I think, for showing that, that love and caring and tenderness. And though uh, from an uh, external standpoint, if someone were to look at it on paper, they would think, why in the world would she choose that purpose? But uh, wouldn't you say it allowed her to, to shine and show her true essence? Yes, I do. And I think that it also helped us uh, have a purpose instead of like wallowing in our own pity. Like we had no electricity, no running water in the very beginning. And, you know, the kids were like, well, we want to go home to our big, beautiful house with our shag rug and our, you know, 
two car garage and you know we would be written up in the society pages if we were doing anything before and then all of a sudden we're thrown in into this whirlwind of a home and the kids were crying and she was like all right you guys we need to take care of these animals so it was kind of like we took the the looking glass off of ourselves and said we're going to care for something else and i think it gave us all a sense of purpose and you got to use those society pages as liners for the uh the animals in that's their cages exactly <laughs> right that is exactly right yes absolutely so how did they, how did she bring you along with this were you one of the kids i, I tell the truth yeah. uh that were kicking and screaming to say i want to go back because oh, well, it's too yeah, hard there was or? three of us i had an older sister and a younger brother we were a year and a half apart and of course all of us were and then finally she had enough and she's like all right we're done here you guys this is what we're doing you're going to pull up your bootstraps and we're going to deal with this because we can't go back so my dad was so abusive we you know i strongly believe i remember the night we left he would have killed her at least and possibly us. So it wasn't like one, believe it or not, I had one interview and the woman said, do you think it was kind of selfish that your mom left when you had a roof over your head and, you know, food on the table? And I said, absolutely not. It was called survival. She can't ignore bloody. So she was bloody and, you know, we had to go. That's the real courage. I mean, it really is. Obviously, uh, my wife came from a, a very similar background, and uh, we've had family members involved in that. Uh, my wife and I are very much involved in a group called the Hempsa House, which is designed to help uh, uh, mostly women, but families that have been torn apart due to violence and have put in a place for the uh, not only usually the mom and the kids, but also the the animals. It, we find uh, temporary places for the animals until they can get back on their feet and get everything situated. And then uh, we bring the animals back in and everybody has a be much better life together. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And that's why it's hard. It's a hard story to tell. And it took me a little bit. People were like, you have to write this story because so many people knew about my story a little bit. But even my closest friend said, I had no idea. It's not something you go and brag about, you know, but I said, if I can help even one person, because there's other people that go through domestic violence and, you know, a lot of the issues that's talked about in the book. So if you can give somebody courage or courage to leave before you're killed, I mean, th there's something there, but it's, it really is a story of inspirational we talk a, about a kindness program and never give up. And, you know, you don't know if somebody's feeling sad on the inside. People didn't know that that was my life. Although, you know, when you have the free lunch card in high school, you know, that you can kind of tell like, all right, that's the poor kid in class. Right, right. And, and that was a whole new set of problems for me. But again, it was, it was the focus I think was on the animals for where we live. So we lived in this little tiny house, but we squatted on some land that was just around us. Um, there was a big, huge trash dump next to us. I mean, it was God awful, but we built any kind of enclosures out of found signs in the woods. I have pictures. There's a picture in the book where I had a, a horse corral and it's made out of trees that we, you know, took the limbs off. And when we dug the hole and then stuck the tree in, and then we only had to buy the wire for it. So we did everything on bare bones and, you know, we, we survived. And, you know, if we did have any kind of money that she could get together, we did take animals to the vet when they, because some of them really needed it. You know, we threw the animal uh, place that she worked. We were able to get them spayed and neutered, usually for free or at a very low cost because she worked there. So that was really great. She saved so many animals single-handedly and thank goodness, I got what she had in her. So she passed it on to me, whether she knew it or not. I guess all the kids, we were there. So we all had to help whether we liked it or not. And, and I did. I loved it. I loved, we're all animal lovers, the whole family. 
Right, right. That was leading to my next question. You know, it's like once you finally said, okay, enough is enough. This is life. Deal with it. <laughs> yeah. At that point, was there a tipping point or a certain story or a certain situation that you remember that it sort of turned the corner from you of more of I have to do this to, boy, I really want to do this? And make sure that uh, you know you, you know you're sort of understanding the real purpose. You know, when I first got here to the new farm, she died two weeks before I made settlement. I, I stood on my porch and cried and said, "You know, I am a graphic designer and photographer. I have all this work to do. How am I going to take care of 35 animals?" And I only had 35 at the time. And after you know, I say my mom haunted me in the first couple of weeks <laughs> because all sorts of things were happening. I would go to open a corral for the gate for the horse, and the lights would go off, and I'd have to look up and say, "Mom, turn them on!" And then the, the lights came on, and I had the electric company out there, and they're like, "Nope, there's nothing wrong with the transformers." And then finally, I was like, after about a couple of weeks, I finally said, "You know, that's it." I said, "Mom, I'm fine. Just go." And I made the commitment that I'm going to do this. And then I started taking in animals, not really on purpose again. So I work at the Federal Aviation Administration for the government, and everybody knew I had gotten this farm. They knew my mom had passed, and then they started saying, oh, yeah, 15 acres? Well, can you take this and can you take that? So it was unofficial, and I did that for 12 years, you know, just by myself doing it. And then when my bills got to be about 4000 a month, I said, hmm. And, you know, I make a good living doing photography and graphic design. I finally said, I can't pay that and my mortgage. So I became a nonprofit just to get a tax break on my feed. And in New Jersey, our tax is 7% on 4,000. I'm like, that's going to be a lot of savings. And then people started saying, well, can I visit? Can I volunteer? And I'm thinking, this is where I live, people. What are you talking about? And then sure enough, that happens. And it has grown to over 600 animals. That's fantastic. Well, I think it's a matter of, you know, first of all, it's uh, yes, when people find out you have uh, the ability or at least the land or the space, uh, you know, they come and knock in. But also on the plus side, like you said, you know, it's you are a shining beacon. So you're going to attract the right people and you're going to attract the right animals and ways to take care of them. So that's going to be out there. And then it's wonderful that, you know, once people hear what you're doing, that they want to be part of it and in volunteering, obviously, you know, uh, I always tell people that volunteering is everything. I mean, if you are a graphic designer, uh, guess what? The, uh, the nonprofit needs your your help, your support. If you're a fine, you know, can write grants, then that's your uh, bailiwick. So there's a lot of ways that you can uh, get involved. Right. We're all volunteer run. Um, right now, we don't have any people, you know, on payroll. They're all volunteer. I'm hoping that's going to change soon because if somebody doesn't show up, like we just had a snowstorm not long ago and I was there. Thank goodness it was a week weekend because I wasn't going into my job. But, um, you know, it's really, really hard with 600 animals. If I were trying to feed myself, it, I could feed all the way that day. I fed all the way until, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon and I was done breakfast. And then I had to do their dinner, which started, I had to start at two so I could get done, you know, by nine o'clock at night. It was craziness. So, you know, just people couldn't get there because of the snowstorm. Yeah, absolutely. I can't do it with one person anymore. No, it takes a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I have a wonderful team of committed volunteers. I have like eight to 10 on a normal day, maybe four to 10, depending on the weather. And then we have about a hundred that come throughout the year, maybe one-offs like one month or we'll have a group that comes. We have a lot of kids that do it for community service for school, you know, if they're in the National Honor Society. And it really makes people feel good. I had somebody last week say, I was having the crappiest day 
and I just need it to come to the funny farm. Um, what sets us apart from anybody else is that the animals roam free here because at the original funny farm in Turnersville, we didn't have enough cages or they were all in our house. So horses were getting along with pigs, we're getting along with ducks and chickens and cats and dogs. And guess what? It happens like that here. And it's not because I can't afford the different pens. It's just that we have so many animals. They have to be together. And because we always let them kind of roam free and be part of the family, they're living their best lives here. So when you drive in, you're going to meet an emu that's going to walk up to you. You're going to be able to kiss a llama. There's a horse loose, all the ducks and chickens and cats and dogs and geese. They're all loose, peacocks and turkeys. You walk up and some of the kids, let me tell you, they're afraid because they're not used to having this interaction, especially some of the city folks. So yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's quite the experience. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that leads to moving forward with uh, your kindness program. Tell us a little bit about that. So we started a critter camp um, for kids to teach them, you know, our future are these children. And there's some places they say, oh, you have to be 16 to volunteer. I say, if you can volunteer, if you're three years old or four years old and you can walk, you can volunteer. You have to come with a parent if you're under 15. So we encourage anybody. And some of these kids, let me tell you, I have had kids that started when they're three and now they're like, you know, they're older and they're still volunteering until they're too old and cool to volunteer anymore. But we have a kindness program where we go around, we have children's books. And I was self-published because I didn't really know about the publishing end of things with the big book. I was a graphic designer and, you know, I'm still doing that, but I would take the photos. I, my social media guy, Matt Reeves wrote most of them. I co-authored them. And then we go around to the different schools and we teach kids. We have three books right now out of a series of 10 and they all talk about kindness. And if all these different animals can get along, so can your kids. And we have one that's Adela Diva chicken. She's a chicken who lives in my house. She wears a diaper. She has her nails painted. She does not like other chickens. She thinks she's a dog or a horse. And I said, you know how these kids are nowadays or people in general? Am I a man? Am I a woman? Am I black? Am I brown? Am I purple? Who cares? We just say, be the best you that you can be. Why do you have to put a label on it? Just be whatever it is. So it's a book about that. And she talks about be wanting to be all these other animals. And at the end, she says, just be the best you that you can be just like me, Adele, the diva chicken. And then we have Farley, the funny farm dog book. And it's all about him working for and looking for a baby duck that's lost and how he interacts with all the other animals. And they're all real photos and real stories. So it's really inspirational. The last one I have is Chucky, the miracle dog. And he was one of my mega esophagus dogs that had to sit up in a high chair and drink his food. And they said he would live six months and he wound up living a little over five years old. Fantastic. During the book, he winds up passing away. So we introduce death, but it's very quickly. And we say, you know, once they move on, you have to still give love to your other pets, or maybe you can help somebody else. And we wind up getting another mega esophagus dog in after that. Although nothing would ever replace next to losing my mother, that dog was the hardest thing that I've ever lost in my life. So I'm not putting any light on that. It's just that the best thing I ever could have done was get another dog to help another life. And it really helped heal my heart from that. So, That's wonderful. Yeah, That's so wonderful. You told that. It's wonderful. Yeah. Thanks. 
All right. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Uh, we'll come back, talk to uh, Lori Zaleski a little bit more about her book, Funny Farm, uh, My Unexpected Life with 600 Rescue Animals. And I want to talk, uh, perfect segue into this. Uh, I want to talk to Lori about how do you write a fun, inspirational little anti-bullying books, self-publishing, to now all of a sudden publishing a very uh, serious book, we'll say in some accounts, at a big time publishing house. So everybody hang tight. We'll come back right after this commercial break you're listening to animal rights on pet life radio sit stay we'll be right back after a short pause well four to be exact molly here's your dinner (coughs) zeus that's not your food Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Continuing our conversation with uh, the founder of Funny Farm, as well as the author of the latest book, Funny Farm, My Unexpected Life with 600 Rescue Animals, uh, Lori Seleski. Now, Lori, uh, right before the break, you talked about how being a, uh, a graphic artist and a photographer, you put together this wonderful series of uh, smaller books, self-published, to get the message out about these wonderful animals and the challenges they went through and how that uh, they can, uh, we can help, as always, learn from our animals our best teachers. Now, all of a sudden, you've got this book, Funny Farm, and you got an agent. You had to find an agent, and then you went out and pitched it, and then everybody and their brother wanted to buy the story. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that whole process of learning what's this whole publishing thing about, and then all of a sudden, you get more offers than you know what to do with, and they're fighting like chickens over feed. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it was quite the, I, I re- didn't realize how much I didn't know about publishing. I thought I'm a graphics person. I work with printers all the time. We get the things published forever, but I didn't understand what it was to publish a book book like, like Funny Farm. And basically I used to say to my mother, I mean, her life was such a whirlwind. I used to joke when I was a kid and say, mom, you need to write a book because nobody can make up this crap. Like there's <laughs> so much in there. And, you know, she would ride her horse to her work because we didn't have a vehicle and she'd be riding down the road and going to her paint store. That was uh, a little bit later after the um, some of the cleaning of the animal cages. So some of her she and she had a lot of them at the same time, but she would be riding her horse there. Um, I said, you can't even make this stuff up. Of course, she didn't have time and she was trying just to survive and when some people heard some of the stories, they said, Lori, you need to write a book. My one girlfriend was a columnist and she said, Lori, this is incredible. And the more that she interviewed me, 
the more that she had learned. And she talked me into it. And I said, I don't know how to write a book of my own. And it might be too much. And she said, I'll help you organize it. So I wound up tape recording because I'm not a typist. I had art classes instead of typing when I was in high school. So I, I type pretty quick with, you know, like a chicken with two fingers. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> and um, you know, I just tape recorded that and added some notes and changed that around. And then of course you have an editor. Um, my friend Marjorie is an editor and she helped me out. And sometimes she's trying to change the words. I'm like, I don't even know what that word is. So you got to put it back my word because I, you know, I tried to make it true to, to me and what I sound like. And I'm not some big literary person. It's just, I had an awesome story. It was a whim, you know, a women's inspirational story because there is no other stronger woman than my mother that I know of. And, you know, her never give up attitude and looking at the bright side of things. And, you know, in the book, I talk about, you know, we would cry a lot over everything. And she would say, the more you cry, the less you pay. If I'm like, well, they're mad at me. Well, they're mad and then they'll get glad. Don't you worry about it. So she had a saying for everything. And even when, you know, I talked about her when as a child, when I was getting older, uh, a teenager, and I wanted to go out with my friends and she said, are you going to go see your friends tonight? And I said, no, my room's a mess. And she said, you know what? The dirt will be there. You go and have fun. What mother says that to Like she had life figured out. Like she realized life was short even before she realized life was short. She died at age 53. Mm. So I am 53 now. I'm sorry, 52, right before she made 53, one month before her 53rd birthday. So I knew that this story had to be told. I didn't know it was going to be this accepted and wanted. And I think they're calling it the feel good book of the year dire moments and dark moments in the book. It's all about coming back from that and becoming stronger. You know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Here you go. Cause this is what it's about. Fascinating thing about, you know, when you're writing, writing books, where you're writing uh, smaller, smaller books, self-publishing, writing articles, whatever it may be. If you have a good story that people can relate to, and it's coming from a, 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 your heart and coming from a good place, then it's going to get out there. People are going to want to hear it. And that's why I think uh, Funny Farm uh, hits the nail on the head, so to say. So good job on that. Thank you so much. Well, Lori, where can people find out more about you, Funny Farm, uh, the book, uh, your other books, all the wonderful stuff you got going on in your life? So you can uh, either go to our Funny Farm uh, website. It's Funny Farm Rescue, all one word, funnyfarmrescue.org. You can look up Lori Zaleski, author. You can look up Funny Farm under Macmillan, or even if you just Google Funny Farm, My Unexpected Life, or put my name in there, and it's Lori L.A. U-R-I-E, and then Zaleski, Z-A-L-E-S-K-I. Um, but it's sold all over the place. We're, like I said, we're getting great reviews, which I'm so tickled pink about. I just, I almost am like waiting for somebody to go, wake up. It's, <laughs> it's not real. And I just got back from the Savannah Book Festival yesterday. Ah. People were like, you got in, like these other authors, you got invited to a festival and your book's not even released yet because today is the official release date. Yeah, right. absolutely. So tickle pinker than a pig's belly, right? So That's nice. exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a wonderful, wonderful job in the book. Love the book. Love the twists. Obviously love the animals. I love hearing your uh, story and your mom's story. It's, it's great inspiration. And uh, so everybody go out and pick up a copy of the book. It's called Funny Farm, My Unexpected Life with 600 Rescue Animals by Lori Seleski. Lori, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for uh, telling your story. And we'll look forward to seeing and hearing more from you uh, somewhere down the road. 
Thank you so much, Tim. I really appreciate the opportunity. My pleasure. Well, we're uh, coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank the uh, producers and sponsors for making this show possible. Uh, if you want to find out more about uh, other animal rights shows or other shows on Pet Life Radio, simple. Just go to PetLifeRadio.com. There's a cornucopia of great entertainment, great hosts, and great uh, stories to listen to. And um, while you're there, obviously, check out the show Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Put it in a book. Put it in an article. Put it in a blog. Just get it out there. And who knows? You may be the next guest on Animal Rights Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.